You are listening to the Sermon Podcast of Fellowship Bible Church. Thank you for stopping by. We sincerely hope you are blessed. Enjoy. Imagine I had $10 billion in cryptocurrency on this USB drive. That's like a thing, I think, that can happen. You can have like $10 billion in cryptocurrency on this USB. Now, if I gave it to you, $10 billion, that is way more than you would ever need. Right? You, you, could, you, could buy, you could go into every store you've ever visited and say, I'll take one of everything, have it dropped off at a warehouse that I just had built, and you wouldn't even crack the surface of $10 billion. This is way more than you would ever need. You have to immediately start buying companies or, or, or philanthropically dispersing it. Way more than you would ever need. But how easy is it to misplace this? Right? I would hand this to you. Where would you put it? You put it in your pocket with your keys, with the coins, with maybe another USB drive that you have. Which one is it? Your kids want a piece of gum and you grab it and oh, there goes $10 billion. I better not miss Oh, I better not lose this USB. Right? It's easy to misplace. And then, right, how do you... You know, there's no thing at the checkout line that you wave it, or how do I, how do you use it? How do you get access to your cryptocurrency? Maybe some of you know, do, does it, do, do most of you know? How would you turn this into monies? It's a multi-step process. From the little I know about it, it sounds super annoying. Like, super computer nerds are into it, and I'm like, I don't even know if $10 billion is worth the hassle (laughs) of waiting for all the, how do I sell it, how do I get it, and then, of course, once you get it, who comes knocking? You gotta gotta pay taxes. (laughs) That's right. Tax man's coming. So, you're handed this extraordinary gift... But now you have this somewhat frustrating and annoying work of keeping track of it and then figuring out how to access the gift that you've been given. And I think that that's an interesting way to frame what we've been given from God in the good news of the gospel, what we've been given in the relationship with Jesus and in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We literally have way more than we would ever need. We talked about this at the end of last Sunday. More than you could ask or think is what we have from the God, the one God, in the one name, Jesus Christ our Lord, in the Spirit that made all things. All the earth is mine, the fullness of a thousand, like it's all His, and we have way more than we need. And yet, don't you find sometimes uh, it is frustrating, annoying, it's kind of work, to keep track and access that? I mean, how, how many times in a week do you think, oh, that's right, I should... God. I forgot about God for a couple days. <laughs> I want to access what I've been given. Two Sundays ago, we were in Psalm 98, and we talked about how the truth of God's Word contains the joy that we all need. Psalm 98 Uh, depicts the 
the earth being filled with the joy of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. And Psalm 98 instructs us that that joy comes from specific truths about God, that the truth contains the joy. If you're here this morning and you are joy deficient, what Psalm 98 would say is you need to sow seeds of truth in your mind and in your heart, and joy will be the fruit. Last week we looked at the story of Jericho, which tells the message that God works, God works and He wins through our worship and obedience. God works and He wins through our worship and obedience. The earth will be filled with joy like the waters cover the sea as the people of God sing a new song and make a joyful noise and do what He has called us to do. So these, these messages and truths come together. And so, based on last Sunday, I would encourage you, if, if you desire to see God work in your life in specific ways in 2024, then what... What the story of Jericho instructs us to do is to give attention to God, to worship Him, and to give attention to His ways, to obey Him. Give attention to God, give attention to His ways. But now this morning as we turn to Mark 9, if you would open up in your Bibles to Mark 9, we're going we're gonna to spend a little bit of time, every time I read this, this story, every time I read the passages that, that Lily read for us, I feel like there's... 10 more sermons in here. So I'm just going to try to preach one of them and confine myself to one of them. But we're going, to, we're going to reflect on a super relatable story here that I think will help those ideas of the truth contains the joy and, and God works through worship. Help, help those things become a little more practical and relatable so that we are able to hold on to and access what we have in Jesus. So let's start with a little bit of the backstory, the context here, which we see in chapter 9, verses 2 to 13. And so this is what is referred to as the transfiguration. Verse 2, six days, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. So... For this moment, the, the glory that Jesus had with the Father before time began, and the, the glory that John says, we have seen the glory of God, the full of grace and truth, shining in the face of Jesus, that glory for this moment gets physically manifested in Jesus. This is just this brief moment where His actual glory overtakes his humanity, and Peter, James, and John get to see it. And they, they see this then, this glorious vision of Jesus. And then they not only see that, but they hear a word from the Father. Look at verse, verse 7. A cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. And, and so this is the Father making clear the point of the vision, right? Peter wants, he sees the vision, he says, oh, we should build some, some shrines here. But the Father's like, <clears throat> Peter, uh, let me make clear the point of this vision. I want you to listen to this guy. You see him, you look at him, see his glory, listen to him. Listen to Jesus. And this is an extraordinary moment to be able to see the vision, the, the, the glory of Jesus so clearly but this is what is always true right this is what jesus is like jesus is always this glorious 
And if we could see Jesus always as he really is, we would never have any reluctance or any hesitation to worship him and obey him and seek our joy in him and listen carefully to him. If we could see him clearly, we would listen to him. Of course we would listen to him. And the Father makes this connection so clear. He says, okay, you, looked at, you look at him, you see him, now listen to him. Look at him, right? Listen to him. Nobody who ever sees the glory of Jesus, who saw him in that moment, would ever be like, well, I don't know if I believe in you. I don't know if I want to obey the things you say. After you pick yourself up off the ground, you would say, just whatever, let's go. I'm yours. But very practically, what the Father is telling the disciples to do is to to listen to Jesus, to to seek Jesus' voice in your life. To not just listen to the things He says, but to seek out His advice, to converse with Him, and how much more so when life is difficult. When you maybe are most wrapped up in your own mind, you're most wrapped up in your own feelings and thoughts. Listen to Jesus. You see how glorious he is? When you're in that dark place, go to him and listen to him. Now, this is, of course, super clear on the mountaintop. This is super clear when you're standing in the glowing heavenly cloud listening to the voice of the God boom down to you. Right, inside the heavenly vision, you can, you can hear Jesus say stuff like, just a few verses up, look with me in your Bibles at Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Right before this heavenly vision, this is what Jesus says to the disciples. He says, if anyone would come after me and be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Most of us, when we hear that, we go, well, oh, hang on. Take up my, my, what did you say? It sounded like you said cross. Follow you, take up, take up your cross, and deny myself? That sounds really harsh. But as soon as you step into chapter 9 and you see Jesus glorified, it's, oh, hang on, no problem. I see you, Jesus. I hear you, Lord. I will absolutely follow and obey. It's super clear when you're there in Mark 9 to to 13. But now let's go down to verse 14, because this is where we tend to live, which is not clear. Where we tend to live is a place of fragility, a heated and anxious moments like what we read here beginning in verse 14. And when Jesus and Peter, James, and John came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, were amazed, ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. What a difference in moments. And so Jesus and Peter, James, and John come down to the other nine disciples and they encounter this extraordinarily sad, scary situation. Right? Like parents, grandparents, imagine if this was your kid. 
if this is the situation that you lived with in your home, what that would be like day after day, week after week, month after month, to live with that anxiety. What's going to happen? Is it going to get worse? Is it going to happen again? The experience of the kid trying to learn, trying to just be a person and to have that going on at the same time. And then the experience of the disciples. Right? The, the disciples, the whole point of their life at this point is uh, they want to be like Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to live in such a way also that you are honored and glorified. And here comes this extraordinarily sad situation. What do the disciples want to do? They want to be like Jesus and they want to help. They want to help this father who's, who's crying and pouring out the situation. They want to see, help this, this kid that they see. But what happens? They, they can't. They can't. Do you have situations like that in your life? You, you want to be like Jesus in it. You want to honor Jesus in it. You want to help this situation, these people, these things out. And you just, I just can't. I, I... And so now Jesus comes down and he finds them uh, fighting. Fighting. Why are they fighting? We're going to look briefly at why are they fighting and why did they fail? Well, they're fighting with the scribes. They're arguing about this thing. They're arguing about why they failed. Right? They're arguing about, uh, well, you, you didn't do it right. You should have done this. You said this, but you should have said that. Or you didn't put enough scripture in it. Or, you know, we, we should have done this. Or, you, you know, you, your way never works. Your way, my way, oh, they, that's what they're fighting about. Who did it right? Who's got the best way to approach the situation? Do we ever fight like that in the church? Do we ever fight like that in our lives? You know, the disciples, right, they, they're doing a good thing. They, they want to do what's right. They want to do something good. They want to be like Jesus and honor Him. But what happens? We are tempted to need to feel right. That's the te- like, I need to feel justified in what I've done. And the quickest way to, to get there is to, to look at you and say, well, at least I'm... I'm better than you. I'm comparing myself to you. And then they start, they start this fight. And so they fail to help the father and his son. And they're totally not like Jesus. And they dishonor Jesus. But what was their, what was their real failure? This is where I want to reflect for the rest of our time here. What was their real failure? In verse 18, the father says, uh, the father of this son says, they were not able to cast out this spirit. So is their failure that they didn't have the ability to cast out evil spirits? Or what Jesus says in verse 19, Jesus answered them, he said, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Now, he's probably talking about the dad. He's talking about the crowd, but he's including the disciples in that faithless description as well. What was their real failure? Was it that they were not able or that they were faithless? And, and I think it's important to start by saying it, Jesus was not criticizing them for their inability. Right? They were not expected to have the ability to deal with this on their own. 
There are things in life that are overwhelming situations. There are times when we come up, come up against the walls of Jericho. We are not expected to be able to just deal with these things. They are too much for us. It is okay to have things in our lives that are too much for us. Not being God, that was not the disciples' failure. God doesn't want us to live life on our own without Him. So it was not their inability that was their failure. It was their faithlessness. Oh, faithless generation. Which is, let's think about that for a second, because aren't they trying to cast out an evil spirit in the name of Jesus? Like, isn't all of that stuff faith stuff? How is this... How is this faithless? Well, let's look at a couple things here. At the end of verse 19, what does Jesus say to them? He says, oh, faithless generation, in contrast with what they've been doing, what does he say at the end of verse 19? He says, bring him to me. Bring him to me. This failure is made more clear when we go down to the end of this story to the uh, disciples-only conversation of verse 28 and 29. So look with me down to the end of the story, verse 28. When Jesus had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What does that imply about how how the disciples approached this problem? What didn't they do? They didn't pray? They didn't pray? Like, I almost imagine, like, you know, what? Why could we not cast it out, Jesus? And Jesus is like, oh, come here, bring it in. Everybody leans in a little bit and he says, oh, with this kind, you've got to pray? Forehead slap. We we look at this and we think, the disciples of Jesus didn't pray, but how many times is that us? I mean, just within the last couple months, uh, I was addressing a situation that just felt felt really overwhelming. And it, it got me really upset when I would think about it. I would think about this situation, and I would just see it. It was one of those ones that just really occupies your, your anger, the anger part of your brain, and, the, and it just it had a lot of energy in it. And I was getting ooh, just fixated and the drama of it, and, and I was getting frustrated by it. And like a couple weeks into this sort of like anxiety, anger circuit, I'm laying awake one night, and I realize I've never prayed about this or them. And I just had to say, oh my, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm such a dummy. And immediately when I prayed, the whole thing just dissipated. It just dissolved. It just went totally away. They didn't pray. Jesus makes this whole thing even more clear in John 15, 5, he says, uh, apart from me, you can do, what does it say? Nothing. 
Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus, why could we not cast it out? Apart from me, you can do nothing. What the Father said at the beginning of the chapter, listen to him. Listen to him. Bring your life to him. Because apart from him, you can do nothing. The disciples clearly needed to pray, but they forgot to pray. Now, they were trying to be faithful in their mission, right? They thought their mission was right to cast out demons and help people and, and do good works in this world, right? But they were trying to live out their mission to honor and serve Jesus without reference to Jesus. Again, this is how many times are we trying to be good spouses or good parents or, or good bosses or good employees, good we're trying to be good in the world. We're trying to honor Jesus and we go about it without reference to Him. Why didn't they bring the boy to Jesus? It's because they lost, light of, lost sight of something. They lost sight of how they, though they have all they need in Him, it was misplaced. It was uh, inconvenient. The needs in the moment pushed it away. And, and having this father and this son and all this crowd and stopping everybody and saying, let's, let's spend some time praying about this was just, are you going to really do that? Let's go. Let's, I've got ideas. He's got ideas. He's saying something. He, Peter needs to be quieted down so I can say, you know, like, and then boom, it goes. They lost sight of, they lost sight of again, who Jesus is. This isn't the slide. but They lost sight of who Jesus is. Jesus is the beloved Son. They, they lost sight of who they are without Him. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. And they lost sight of who they are to Him. You hear those two things? Who you are without Jesus, you can't do anything good. Who you are with Jesus, who you are to Jesus, right? cast your cares upon Him, Peter says, because He cares for you. No, no translation there has improved the King James in my mind. Cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. Bring it to Jesus. This kind only comes out by prayer. Cast your cares upon Him for He cares upon you. So friends, as we, as we rush into 2024, what is success in the new year going to look like for us? It's going to look like three things. Look to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. And listen to Jesus. In a word, pray. What do you clearly need to be praying about that you haven't been? What are you forgetting to pray about? We, if I sat down with any one of you and we talked... So what's all going on in your life? What's heavy on your heart and mind? What are the big things that, that happened this year that you're still dealing with that, that are coming that you're anxious about? And then we went through each other's list and said, well, you, have you prayed about that? Are you praying about this? Or, probably not. A, <laughs> we, we would discover some things that we're not praying about. That we clearly need to be praying about. Now, People can get the wrong ideas about prayer and we can have our doubts about prayer. And so to help us in this, just as this story makes clear, 
we are reminded to look to Jesus, which is another way of saying uh, regular worship. Go back up to the mountain. Go back into the, the luminous cloud and hear the voice of the Father and see Jesus as he really is. And remember who Jesus is, right? Jesus is the beloved Son of God. As we saw last week in the story of Jericho, Jesus is the one through whom God wins. If you need winning in your life, you need Jesus. As we saw in Psalm 98, Jesus is the one through whom God delivers his joy. If you need joy, you need Jesus. Remember who Jesus is. And then remember who you are, which is, there's a great side to that. I'm his, I'm the, I belong to the beloved Son of God. But also, I'm a disciple, which means I'm a learner who's learning. So on the one hand, this beautiful, I'm, I'm attached to the Son of God, which also means that I'm dependent on the Son of God. But I think that one of the great challenges, and I feel that this is the challenge in Mark 9, I feel that one of the great challenges to prayer is that it is somewhat frustrating and annoying work to do. It's frustrating and annoying to keep track of and access our relationship with Jesus. Right? How many times do you feel like you have misplaced your faith? You've misplaced the presence of Jesus in the problems and struggles of your life. How many times do you feel like it is, it's just... This stuff that we think about on Sunday is just inconvenient. And so you leave this all unaccessed. I want to flourish. And I want to be a blessing and help to others. But we forget about Jesus. And Jesus is where the joy is. And Jesus is where the power is. Think about this story from the perspective of the father as we, as we close. The father of this boy. He needs power. He needs power and he needs joy. And so he brings his son to the disciples. Why does he bring his son to the disciples? Did you notice this when, it, when, he, when he's talking to Jesus? He says in verse 17, he says, Teacher, I brought my son to you. So that's true. He brought his son to the disciples so that they would take him to encounter Jesus where the power and the joy is. He wasn't bringing him to the disciples because he'd heard great things about Peter. Right? He brought his son to the disciples because he had heard great things about Jesus. He wanted an encounter with Jesus. And think about the, the situation of the, of the kid. Does he want to be there? Is he like, oh yes, Jesus will... Save me and heal me. Or is he thinking mostly, is this going to hurt? <laughs> and I don't know if I want to be here. But why was he brought to the disciples? Because he needed the power of God. He needed his life transformed by joy. He needed an encounter with Jesus. The disciples' job, in other words, our job, is to be where people meet Jesus. The disciples lost sight of this. That's why they end up fighting with the scribes and amongst themselves. Who's doing it right? Who's doing it best? Our job is to bring people to Jesus. Our job is to bring the world to Jesus. So often we think that our job is to bring Jesus to the world. There's plenty of world in our lives. And that world, 
we are invited to bring to Jesus. To bring our world, to bring the world to Jesus. Our job is not to do what we are not actually able to do. God's not messing with us. Our job is to bring the world to Jesus. In prayer, to bring the world to Jesus and to bring our, our difficult and scary things to Him. I want to leave you with this reflection this morning and in a brief challenge. Friends, what do you need to bring to Jesus today? Who do you need to bring to Jesus today? What are the things that up till now you would say, I have been unable to address these on my own? What are the things that you would say to Jesus, how come I can't? And he would say, well, this kind only comes out by prayer. What and who do I need to bring to Jesus today? And I want to challenge you. I know New Year's, we like challenges here. So I want to challenge you with something. I want to challenge you to select a few of your unabilities, your few unable situations. Select a few of them, and then I want you to pray what you want for those things. Lord, here's the situation at work that I can't see my way out of. I want it to, what? Get better, improve, change. I want you to select those inabilities. I want you to pray what you want for them. And then, for how many days? You pick. How, much, how big are they? How much do you want them? You figure out how long you're going to pray for them for. 10 days, 100 days, one day, I guess if you don't really care about it, you know, like pick a number of days, your inabilities that you want to pray for. Do it. See what happens. I was just thinking about this just this morning. I was thinking, those big things that, that God has laid on my heart this last year, that I've been praying for, not every day, a lot of days. Wow, they've really changed. God has worked in them. What's He going to do? Listen, I don't know. I'm not saying it's going to be magic land for you and everything's going to come out roses, but whatever happens, whatever's going on in that situation, I know this at least. I know that it's the kind of thing that cannot be changed by anything but prayer. It's the kind of thing that can't be changed by anything, by anyone, but Jesus. Because Jesus, He changes everything. Would you stand with me as we pray? Well, Heavenly Father, we are here we, we are here because your Spirit has brought us to Jesus. And we love this moment. We love Jesus and we love coming before Him. We love remembering His glory. We love listening to His voice. But Lord, help us to keep this, this heavenly moment in view this week. That we might not misplace, that we might access what you have given us in Him. Lord, give us the courage we need to explore the extent of your generosity. To take you at your word. To bring to Jesus the things in our life that we feel like with the disciples we're just unable to deal with.
And help us to listen to what you say to us. And help us to trust you to work. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are, for your, your beauty, your glory, your power, your wisdom, your kindness, that we can cast our cares upon you and that you care for us. You truly are worthy of the worship you receive. You are worthy of all the worship. Lord, now as we turn our attention together to gaze upon the the King in all His beauty, and as we go into the Lord's table to gaze, to continue that gaze of the King in all His beauty, and all of your, your steadfast love and your wise and generous mercy and grace, Lord, help us to see what we need to see here so that we might be freed up to follow you a little more closely and rely on you a little more completely. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Pastor David. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Fellowship Bible Church. We sincerely hope you enjoyed this reflection on Scripture, and we pray that this word dwells in you richly.